Episode 70 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with Steve Tashjian, the head performance specialist at the US men's national team. Steve came on to talk about the high performance model. We spoke about proving your worth. We spoke about leadership, managing time, and also building trust. So it was great to chat with Steve, and I hope you take plenty from the episode. I just want to say a big thank you to everyone that gave us a shout out in this time. Obviously, there's loads of extra time for people to be listening to podcasts and um, doing some extra CPD. And we've had loads of people shouting us out on Twitter, Instagram, um, all sorts of social media and messages as well. So I just want to say a massive thank you for that. And um, we just hope that we're giving as much value as possible in this time and all coaches and players are taking advantage of this time to to upskill, um, which I'm sure they are. Um, I know Steve Barrett as well. Big shout out to Steve Barrett for putting the event on um, recently because I know many coaches attended the, web, the online webinar and that's the sort of thing we need in our industry to um, help each other out and um, basically create a better performance model for, for our players and our coaches. So big thank you to that and, and please continue to do that as well. Give us a shout out where possible because it does help to boost the audience and grow the audience. I also just want to mention that we put out on social media that our upcoming event at Fleetwood Town is postponed. I think a lot of people would have seen this coming, um, but we have now officially postponed the meeting due to the um, spread of coronavirus. So we will be looking to rearrange this meeting everyone that's bought tickets we have got in contact with you um so if you've not seen any messages or anything just have a look on your email we've, we've dropped you an email with the update on that but as soon as everything calms down it's the same as the Rotherham meeting we will be looking to rearrange these meetings as soon as possible and get the dates out to you just as soon as we know when we're available to do that um, so apologies about that, but it has been sort of out of, out of our hands and we won't be booking any meetings in the um, foreseeable future just in, until we know what the plan is with everything and, and we it's safe to do so basically. So thanks for your support on that. Um, but it has cleared up time to put out a few more podcasts. So this is the second podcast of this week. And we will be releasing two podcasts a week um, just for the next few weeks to, to basically provide as much information and value as possible. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Obviously, the first episode of the week was with Harry Routledge. And um, this is a top one with Steve as well. There's loads of information in this one. So get your notepads ready. And here's the episode with Steve. Welcome back to Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 70. I'm delighted today to be joined by the head performance specialist at the US men's national team, Steve Tashian. Steve, thank you very much for coming on. Ben, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. I've heard you speak on a good few podcasts before, mate, and I always take plenty from the episodes, so I'm delighted you're going to be coming on and, uh, and talking on our podcast. So, yeah, big thank you. No worries, man. No worries. Looking forward to it. Now, it's a bit of a, a strange time at the moment. So we're, we're mid-March. We're going through everything in terms of the coronavirus. Everyone's in slightly different positions. It's a bit of a, a weird time, isn't it? But it, all well and good over there at the moment. Yeah, I think we're dealing with a lot of the same constraints that, uh, you know, everybody's dealing with worldwide, man. And so far, so good. I think we've got 
you know, a lot of people collaborating together to try to solve really unique situations that we haven't been faced with before. But it's, you know, every time there's a challenge, it's an opportunity for us to come together and be better. So I think, uh, you know, you look at the positives of it. I think we're going to be stronger when we get on the other side of this. Yeah, I agree as well. And Steve, do you want to take us through your background, mate? So take us back um, where you've been, the roles you've had that have taken you up to your current role. Yeah, no problem. I, I left, finished up my schooling in 2002. And my background is my graduate work was in physical therapy. So I actually started my career as a physical therapist, operating within a facility where I was groomed as a performance coach as well. And um, it, I was lucky enough to always be, um, within the sport of soccer from the start. So I left, I left school and my first role allowed me to be in a facility where I was working for the head of fitness for the LA galaxy. And in that role, I did assist with, uh, you know, just working with off field, um, you know, curriculum and off field programming for the players as I kind of got my feet wet in dealing with the professional world. And that slowly progressed into different opportunities to, have my own, you know, my own time in the in the private sector, um, working with athletes within my own facility down in San Diego, as a performance coach and physical therapist, and uh, then I had my first role within the sporting environment as a head fitness coach in 2007 when I joined Columbus Crew. That was under head coach the late Ziggy Schmidt, and I, I had a great two and a half years with him. We we uh, I felt like we really built something there that was unique and we were able to win MLS Cup in 2008 uh, along with a couple other trophies and then midway through 2009 is when I had the opportunity to to go abroad and uh, that's when I joined Everton Football Club in the summer of 2009 had four great years as a sports scientist there working in the medical and sports science departments there under Danny Donaghy and uh, four years with David Moyes and then one year with Roberto Martinez before we came back to the States uh, in 2014. Um, when we came back, we, we really didn't have any sort of an idea or direction we were going to go in as a family. So we took some time to look at the opportunities that were here for us. And oddly enough, you know, I just had the opportunity to head down to the training ground and meet with some friends at Columbus Columbus Crew Soccer Club again, and it, I wasn't going there to interview for any sort of a role, but uh, it turned into about a two-hour discussion with the new head coach, sporting director, and ownership group, and uh, within another two weeks, I ended up signing to stay and go back to my old club, so I was the high-performance director there back in Columbus for uh, four and a half seasons from the middle of 2014 until the end of 2018, uh, and then Greg Burhalter was... Uh, was appointed as the head coach for the U.S. men's national team. And since then, I've, I've gone along with him. So from January of 2019, I've been in the current role as head performance specialist for the USMNT. And uh, blessed to have been blessed to have worked with some great coaches, great practitioners, most importantly, some great players. And um, it's brought us to the point where we are now. Amazing. And in terms of, Heading from Columbus to the Premier League with Everton and then back to Columbus, what were some of the biggest lessons that you took along that way? So coming from the States to England, but then also returning back from England over to the States? You know, I think if if you were to look at it from 200,000 feet, 
and take away the big points. I probably, the biggest skill set was I learned how to deal with people and be more emotionally intelligent. There, it's, it's just, it was such a different environment. <clears throat> My first time in Columbus, I was pr- protected by a very intelligent head coach. You know, Ziggy knew I was young. He also knew that I was going to make mistakes. And I definitely had like a, a layer of protection from him in those circumstances where I was dealing with confrontational situations, either with him or with players. Uh, it was just great to have somebody that protected me and mentored me uh, in a way that allowed me to make mistakes. When I, when I, when I got to Everton football club, it's different. You're expected to be able to function at a much different level. You're going to be dealing with a different type of pressure. You're going to be dealing with a different type of player. And I think as I came out of it, what I realized was I was more equipped to be empathetic in my relationships, in my interactions with people, whether they were staff members, whether they were players, whether they were bosses. And you end up just having a better idea of how your own emotional response to different circumstances allows you to excel as a practitioner and as as a person. I think when I came back, as I started the second time around with Columbus, I just had a, I was in a far better place to be a leader. I was in a far better place to handle the responsibilities of teaching those who are on my staff, but also being able to relate to situations up the chain as well and learning how to really foster good relationships, both in situations where things are going well and things are going poorly. But then also just how do you deal with conflict in a productive way? I'd say I came back from the UK much better equipped to handle those circumstances than I was before I left. And why do you think that was? Is that being exposed to to different ways of working or different levels of the game? Like, What sort of things do you think led to that? It, uh, multiple factors. First is the personalities that you end up dealing with when you change environments. That's going to happen no matter what. The 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 difference between um, you know the the relationship I had with Ziggy Schmidt and the relationship where I had with David Moyes was that I was now expected to be an individual that didn't need as much supervision and mentorship. You've got to make decisions for yourself now, and they're decisions that. You know, they do have critical consequences. And so the pressure cooker ends up, you know, really teaching you a lot very, very quickly. Uh, outside of that, you know, you, you also bump into great people along your career path. And those every single individual you come across is going to teach you something. And that's kind of where, where I was at. The, um, you know, it's not only just staff members, but it's players as well. I learned I learned a lot from from the players that that I interacted with. But you know, Danny Donicky is a fantastic practitioner. He was the head of medical for a majority of the time that I was there. Very calming presence, an individual that has a really good understanding of, you know, the, his own ability to to be present, to emotionally maintain the right um, you know attitude and and behavior in certain circumstances. And he was a great resource for me to 
to utilize and learn from while I was there. Having the having that person that you could soundboard off of was great. Uh, but then, you know, in general, it was also a situation where when when things aren't mandated, you now have to prove the worth of the resources you're bringing to the club. And that was an interesting project is, you know, there wasn't a mandated um, performance culture when I got to Everton. You know, you really were in a situation where you were basically starting a startup business. And that's the way I, I approached it. You know, I was selling a product. And at that point, the players were my audience. You know, my target audience was that roster of, you know, 25 to 30 guys that you had to show your value to. And that was a, a really interesting, um, you know, point in my career in developing that particular skill set of, you know, growing this business. Um, not not to make it sound too cold hearted, but that's really a big part of it. You know, you have to market, you have to prove it, and then you need customer satisfaction. And that's that was really a something I learned. I probably didn't know it while I was in it as much as I do now, looking back on it. But uh, it was it was a combination of, of of being in that pressure cooker and being faced with responsibilities um, in a in a very um, real way. And then having great people around you to pull from and learn from and, 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 and have question and keep you accountable because that's in the end, it really, it really gave me the opportunity to have that accountability and ownership of, of the responsibilities I was given. Analogy. And in terms of like looking at it like a business and you having to sell yourself, prove, prove your work. I think that's, a really good lesson um, it's something that we talk about quite a lot in terms of proving your worth and with different coaches because we speak to a lot of people that are just coming out of university like a lot of people are in the same boat aren't they they might have the same experience so to have that skill to be able to do that and prove how good you are and the effect you're going to have is really key isn't it to get in these roles yeah I mean definitely I, the, you know what you know as a practitioner when you leave school is one thing. Um, you know, growing it, growing as a as a performance leader um, is is far more dependent on how you eventually evolve as a leader and as a um, you know as a individual who can direct a process. These. One of the one of the most influential books I've read just in the in in recent times is Eric Reese's uh, The Lean Startup, and and it's a it's a business book, but what it what it really does is it ties really well to what the high performance model is. The high performance model is a problem solving model, and anytime you have a new problem, you can think of it as a new startup, and what you're trying to do is put together a really you're trying to put together a highly skilled, diverse group of exceptional practitioners that are all there to solve that particular problem. And that's what high performance is. Place anything in the middle. Place, you know, player health and welfare in the middle. Place, uh, you know, national health care in the middle. 
place the coronavirus in the middle. It doesn't matter. The high-performance model is designed to solve problems. So the high-performance director is an individual who's in a very important place. They're, they're there to direct that highly diverse and skilled team to solve that particular problem. And that's a skill set that you know, doesn't get taught in school. So as you're, as you're working your way through your career and you're, you know, you're navigating through these different phases of achieving mastery, you, you end up, you know, you end up hitting one threshold and just moving into another. Initially, you're just trying to hone your craft. If you're a sports scientist, you're just trying to be a really good sports scientist. And then you're trying to be an exceptional sports scientist. But the next thing you'll do is now you're now you're going to be given the opportunity to be a head of sports science. Well, now you need to now you need to master a completely different skill set. But in terms of the process of getting from one phase to the other, uh, there's a lot of similarities to the phases that businesses go through as they grow. And I think sometimes it gets missed that these two things are very closely tied together. The high performance model is a model that is that follows a lot of the same pathways as as small business does and, and startups do. I think that's great. It's something for coaches to take away that if, if people are reading around the subject of sports science and strength and conditioning, it's definitely something in terms of reaching out and reading into business as well because there's so many lessons in there, isn't there, that we can take and apply to our roles. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then just to take you back, you mentioned uh, Everton, Steve. You worked with David Moyes for three years, but then uh, Roberto Martinez came in as well. They're mm-hmm. two coaches, obviously, with, with great experience, but very different styles. So how did that affect your role with the club? To be honest, I, it didn't affect it a ton. You know, the... One thing that I think gets missed is as, as coaches change, um, if, if your focus and attention was in the wrong place, then you do run the risk of being confused in terms of what your new role is. Now, that's obviously in situations where your title doesn't change and you're not moved to a different position physically as a practitioner. I was lucky enough that I was a sports scientist with David Moyes and I was a sports scientist with Roberto Martinez. So the role didn't change a ton. I think, again, it's about whether your, whether your attention within the club remains as a player first attention. You know, what are the, for us, it was very important for us to understand that the decisions that we make, everything's driven by the idea that we're a player first club. When you're a player first club, then all your decisions are done in a way where you're a player first club. So that didn't change a whole lot. You know, the um, Richard Evans came in with Roberto Martinez and we had a good working relationship together. In many ways, I was probably able to share more information than I did under David Moyes. But for the most part, the role was the same. And the the outcomes, the, the desired outcomes were, were very, very similar. So I'm not going to say that in circumstances where coaching changes take place, there aren't situations where a sports scientist role will change as well, because that's that's obviously naive. But for the most part, for me, I was lucky. I was lucky in, in my time at Everton, man. 
You know, I had four years under David Moyes where I experienced a lot. I got to experience, uh, you know, European competition in the Europa League. I got to experience the ups and downs of a Premier League season. And I got to see what, you know, how difficult it is to manage, to manage men. You know, he, he was, David is a terrific man manager. And the, the, the times I had uh, to spend in rooms where they were making decisions, as long as you're just quiet and listening, you're going to learn a ton. You're going to learn a lot. And then Roberto was just a, he's a fantastic coach. And I learned a lot about just the, the game uh, in having the, uh, the opportunity to spend that one year with him. Um, uh, the completely different coaching styles, that's going to happen no matter what. You know, you're, as new personalities come in and out of a building, you're going to you're going to gain access and exposure to different styles of how to handle situations, both on the field and off the field. But for me, my role didn't change. But the way the things I learned and the way in which I was able to learn them did change a bit. Yeah. I really love the game, isn't it? To, to be exposed to these practitioners that have these different approaches. It would be mm-hmm. a very different game if everyone the same way so for you to work under these different coaches that's what gives you the experience and allows your um practice to to develop yeah i think so and then different you know as your role changes you get you get closer and closer to making you know to being the actual decision maker on critical decisions in as i've as i progressed from from Everton to Columbus Crew Soccer Club, my role changed drastically. It was the most intensive position that I'd ever been given. At that point, now I'm overseeing everything from medical and sports science as a high performance director. And then just the, you know, the trust and access that I have with Greg Berhalter is, is the most intimate relationship I've ever had with the decision-making process uh, at, a, at a football club. And, now all of a sudden, again, your your exposure to the game, your exposure to the decisions, your exposure to the um, to the challenges uh, become greater, and then your skill sets improve and and also become greater as the you know the intensity of your exposures grow. And um, overall, I think the the pathway of any practitioner. Um, should be looked at in the good times and the bad times should be looked at as a part of the process. Uh, it's, it's really hard at times. And then I get phone calls from really close friends who ebb and flow out of really good situations into really stressful and difficult situations. That's the reality of, of sports science and fitness coaching and performance coaching. And while you're in it, you don't see that you're growing, especially when the times are bad. And you're dealing with challenges of either being ostracized by a new coaching regiment, new coaching staff, um, and you feel like you're on the outside looking in. <clears throat> and it's really difficult to kind of conceptualize how you're actually growing as a practitioner. But in the end, you know, there is a completely different challenge and skill set that you're that you're acquiring at that period in your career. And that's important to keep your eye on and, and understand. And a lot, listen, it's hard, especially if you're younger and your perspective hasn't grown yet, but once you get on the other side of it and you look back, you really do realize that you're, you've matured in a way that you never could have matured if you weren't faced with that type of adversity. So as circumstances change, sometimes 
um, they're for the better. And all of a sudden you're in the most blissful time in your career. And then other times it seems quite dark and you really don't have a way of at the time, you know, navigating through that darkness and it, and all you can really think about is how dark it is. But the reality is you're probably learning more during those dark periods than you are during the ups. Um, uh, but it's, it's difficult, man. I know it's difficult and I'm sympathetic to the, to those practitioners that I talk to on occasion who are dealing with, I don't know, they're dealing with obstacles that, um, that sometimes, uh, are, you can't always just say I'm, I'm out and leave, right? So there's circumstances where people have to stay in these situations and endure them. And my hat's off to them because on the other side of it, there's a, a level of growth that's going to take place and a level of maturity that they'll gain um, that a lot of people you know, don't get a chance to actually experience. And it, you will separate yourself from, from the group by having had the opportunity to deal with such hardship. So it's tough, but yeah, it comes and goes. And, and if you have the right attitude, you'll grow from it and you'll be better for it for sure. But it's hard to, it's hard to have that perspective while you're in it. Just wanted to give a quick update on our online community. So if you don't know, we've got an online platform available at footballfitfed.com. You just click the community tab. We've got a number of different webinars online as well as the presentations from our network meetings are on there too. So we've got 10 currently 10 um, presentations that are available to watch on demand on the community and we've just added a, another webinar as well. So Tony Tompas, previously physiotherapist at Wigan Athletic, Aberdeen and St. Johnston, has done a brilliant webinar for us on hamstring rehabilitation in professional football. So you can go and check that out on the community. We've also got a top discussion going on at the moment. Um, Michael Mullane down at uh, Leighton Orient started a discussion on programming for the current climate. So there's some, some good chat going on on the community regarding how coaches are approaching this time. Very similar to what we did in episode 68 with, with Andy, Joel and Ross regarding um, programming for, um, for players even in this time when they're going to be at home and the sort of different approaches that people are taking, how we're keeping training fresh and how we're monitoring players. Uh, So yeah, go and check that out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab. You can sign up there. You get a free month on the community when you sign up and it is only £4.99 after that per month going forward. But when our uh, network meetings are up and running again, all the presentations from the meetings will be uploaded onto the community as well. So you will have access to all the network meetings, regardless of whether you can make the events or not. If you do make the events, obviously you can watch the presentations back too. Um, so yeah, please go and sign up. It's, it'll be great to have as many people on there as possible. The numbers are growing on the community, which means the, the chat in the forums getting even better. Um, and it would just be great to see as many, many coaches on there as possible so we can add more value to it and get more webinars on there, more presentations and like I say, more more quality chat in the um, forum as well. So guys, I'll leave you to part two of the podcast with Steve. Here it is. Yeah, I agree. And, and that is the time we develop as practitioners, isn't it? But in terms of your current role, just to de- dive into that a little bit, what are some of the challenges you face or the key challenges you face in your role i tell you ben it's so different man 
it's different than anything I've ever done. And the your your outlook and your emphasis and your priorities change so much. You you're you're far more interested in the way in which you can help and support the process when the players aren't with you than you are focused on the process of when they are with you. Because to be fair, when they're with you, that's what we know. We're coaches. We're more comfortable when the players are in camp. That's what we know how to deal with. We like training. We like being on the field. We like interacting with people and having connections. It's when you're not connected, it feels awkward. And you have to wrap your head around what is, what is my risk? How am I useful right now when they're, when I'm not in camp and players aren't with me and I'm not with coaches and we're not on the field and you change your emphasis, you change your mindset. And for me, I feel like at that point you have to become a, a really useful resource that people can tap into whenever they feel the need. I think you need to support the clubs you need to support the players, you need to support the leagues, and you need to be open and transparent with the things you learn when you have them in camp and open and transparent with the information that helps you when you get them back into camp. But for the most part, you know, it becomes this very um, uh, ornate, very difficult to categorize uh, responsibility. Uh, it, it's there's a lot of planning because if there's anything that you have, it's time. In between camps, there's a lot of time to plan. So there is no reason to not be prepared because you have so much time to prepare your training plan. At the same time, you're communicating like crazy. I mean, I, I'm on the phone probably three quarters of my day. I'm on the phone, either conference calls or um, with clubs or or with players, whatever it might be. And I think that's the most important things that we'll, that we'll accomplish in our time uh, with the U.S. men's national team is continuing to strengthen the relationships with clubs, with high-performance departments across not only MLS, but across foreign leagues as well, where all of our players are. If you can build the right type of trust Truly safe trust where clubs feel totally, totally safe in sharing information with you, where they feel like your desire to be to be uh, a resource is genuine, where they can truly sense that you are only there for the player and for the club. Then I think you accomplish a lot in trying to move towards a truly collaborative process. We depend on the clubs. We depend on the clubs because they keep our players fit. They keep our players sharp. And at the end of the day, if everything's going well, they're keeping your players healthy. And that that's a priority for me is to let them know that I understand and I appreciate that part of the process, but that I also want to be a resource to help. And that also allows the players to feel highly supported as they can as they constantly hear and understand the, the uh, intricate communication that's taking place between their club and the federation, they grow more and more confident that they're being supported in the right way. And these are 
these are things that you, you know, you don't think about when you're in the club setting. Um, so it's been a, been a, a really interesting shift in my thought process in terms of what fills my day from what, you know, when I, when I think of my mission as an individual, what I want to try to accomplish and the stamp I want to try to put on this whole process, it's that we create a really collaborative, transparent, trusting relationship between the clubs and the federation when it comes to the U.S. men's national team. And so that's, that's kind of, that's the biggest difference in the roles. I think that's where I, I try to put most of my energy. And it's a really good time to talk about something like this because you mentioned off air before about the sort of similarity between uh, your current role and, and exactly what you just covered there and the fact that a lot of coaches now with coronavirus, with players going off and having to look after themselves, like there's a lot of similarity between the two um, circumstances, isn't there, in the moment? Yeah, uh, you know, we, we chatted about that off air and that, you know, it's interesting that clubs now are, you know, they get a little bit of, of a glimpse of, of the anxiety you feel as a national team uh, performance coach because you really don't have this daily connection anymore. You don't have this physical check-in. You don't have this uh, uh, ability to daily assess and then intervene uh, and continue the process of, of gaining, um, you know, these uh, taking these steps towards high performance on the weekend. That's our world, you know, as, as um, Federation coaches, we, we live in that space of, kind of being on the outskirts and having to rely on external information. Um, It's a small piece of it. uh, It gives them a, uh, it's an interesting insight for, 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 you know, club-based performance coaches to see kind of what we go through on a, on a weekly basis in, in our environment. But it also is an opportunity for us to, to all collaborate together and learn from it. I tell you what, some of the calls I've had with clubs and how they're handling this period there's some really, really innovative, cool stuff happening, um, you know, across the league, not just here in MLS, but also abroad. And some people are, are putting a lot of thought into how to keep everybody connected, keep the team and the culture alive and keep guys fit and make it do it in a way where the guys are excited about doing it. They're having fun while they're doing it. And they're they're just trying to stay focused on being a high performer. It's There's some really cool stuff conversations I've been able to have this week and I'm looking forward to having more next week as, as I kind of set up these conference calls with clubs. Cause let's face it. We all have time right now at the moment. <laughs> we all have a lot of, we all have more time now than we ever have to kind of chat together and, and, coll- and collectively connect and, 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 and try to drive that, that process that I talked about earlier, which is connecting the two, uh, you know, the two worlds together, both club and country. So it's been, it's been an interesting process, a, a positive that's come out of uh, the current climate. Yeah, it's certainly a test on practitioners in terms of innovation and thinking outside the box, isn't it? And mm-hmm. I know you mentioned there about time, and that's one thing I wanted to ask you because with the role that you're in and the, and the previous roles as well, one thing we've not touched on so much on this podcast so far is time management. So I thought... It'd be great to delve into that and just get your advice on how you manage your time and stay effective within it. Yeah, there's um, I I like to use these different project management systems 
you know, we have a system that we use at the Federation. We use Asana at U.S. Soccer. <clears throat> and that has changed my life, to be honest, because now it's not just about talking about an idea. Once you talk about an idea, the idea now, now needs to take life. And when you have project management tools, um, you know, ideas can now start to gain traction. You can start to apply responsibilities for that project to specific people, including yourself. Once you start to set timelines, you really start to get things done. And whether it be data analytical projects, whether it be club federation collaborative projects, uh, whether it just be the organization of your weekly department meetings, it is, it is really great to have a system that allows you to kind of organize your day and organize your time. And I try to divide it up a little bit in that my, my um, because we're dealing with a lot of different time zones, I make two blocks available in my schedule each day to where I try to fill them with conference calls. And for the European-based clubs that are, you know, five, six hours ahead, it's more of a morning block for me, and then I leave the, the you know, a block from, let's say, 1.30 to 3.30 open for MLS clubs, domestic clubs, and those two periods stay pretty full. Uh, and then in between them is where I take care of my responsibilities that have been assigned to me through these project management tools so that I can keep our, all of our projects moving forward. Um, I consider every single one of our camps a project in and of itself. So within that same system, uh, you know, March camp, June camp, September camp, October camp, November camp, these are already projects that are, that are in our system. And you just fire away on the things that you know need to be done and completed uh, for each one of these camps to run really, really well. And then you start to assign the tasks. And it's kind of become a little bit automatic now because we've finished our first year together. You create templates for all these projects. And uh, when it's time to, to open up a new one, you open up the template. You start assigning responsibilities. And, uh, and then outside of that, you just need to deal with the individual nuances of you know, time and place of where you are as a, as a team and the needs that come with where you are as a team. Uh, and you just keep progressing uh, forward. But daily, you know, it, was, it was a struggle in the beginning. My, my first few months... Um, it really is difficult to gravitate towards you. You identify the needs quite easily. You can see the needs. They obviously evolve with time and new needs pop up, but identifying needs is one thing. Taking the need and creating a project that's going to solve the need is now where you, I needed help. I needed help to kind of organize my thoughts and organize the things that needed to take place in order to solve problems and uh, the the main starting point is to, for me anyway, was to bring some sort of external, um, you know, uh, tool in place to allow me to organize my brain and, and organize my my agendas, and and so that was a big part of it, and and that's kind of how I divide it up. You know, I've got time slots that I try to keep set in stone for for calls that I make, um, or, or or calls that are required of me, uh, requests that are made from clubs. And then uh, outside of that, it's just about getting tasks done, tasks that are tied to specific projects. I think that's the important thing. Identify projects, identify tasks, and then pick them off. Keep picking them off one by one. And then, and then organizing time for yourself. Like I literally schedule in 
time for me to be physically fit, to continue to have active, you know, you know, active, an active lifestyle. And then I have an end of my day. The, the one thing that's dangerous about this is I could work until, until, you know, the wee hours of the morning. It's because there is no office. There is no check-in, check-out. There is, you know, you, you're just, you're just working and working and working. So I also have a cutoff. There's a point where I don't work anymore. And that allows me to to have the appropriate balance to be able to do things correctly and be right with my family and uh, and spend time with them and, and make sure that it doesn't, you know, end up monopolizing all of my time. So uh, being really purposeful in how you organize it and how you structure it is important, but then sticking to it the best you can and using these tools that are available to us to really organize yourself. I think that's some great advice there. And some of the pre well recent episodes we've covered coach health and we've talked about making time for yourself but i think some of the, those bits of advice there in terms of a, a cut off time making time for your physical fitness but also family as well because i think there'll be a lot of coaches out there that will really struggle with that work-life balance if there is a work-life balance like it's, it's constantly trying to find that balance isn't it and i think mm-hmm. it's great advice yourself on what you currently do yeah a great book a great book to read is called Why We Sleep, and I believe the author's name is Matt Walker, and that really woke me up because we definitely uh, we definitely tend to sacrifice our own sleep in this industry just to because sometimes sometimes it's required, I'm, especially in camp, um, the circumstances around how to prepare and get a team ready sometimes don't follow a perfect schedule, but the, the importance of taking care of yourself. Um, I've, I've, we've tried to preach it um, in camp with our staff, just because we end up realizing that we're not as effective as individuals when we don't take care of ourselves. And that's a really important responsibility for us to keep in mind in that we have to be at our best. We are constantly talking to our players about being high performers. And then we end up showing up on some days and we're in no condition to perform at a high level as coaches. And I think that's a really important aspect of what we do, which is the, you know, we want to mirror the behaviors that we want from our players we want we create the culture and we create the environment with our own behavior and that's something that i don't think we do a great job of all the time and if we want to show up on the day and we want to perform at a high level and we want our players to show up and perform at a high level then we all need to do our part and a, a big one for us for me personally was was sleep to the point where you know they there's everybody's pretty clear and, and understands Steve shuts down mentally. I, 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 I'm useless after a certain point in the day when we're in camp. And at that point, you know, I don't make good decisions. And uh, who am I, who am I benefiting when I'm in that state? And those are the types of decisions that are difficult to make sometimes, but collectively as, as promoters of high performance, we, we need to look at ourselves, take ownership of our own situation uh, and make the right decisions because uh, you know, we need to be accountable to what, to how we handle ourselves, and we need to be accountable to the 
example that we're setting for for the players that we that we try to affect on a daily basis. Yeah, I think if coaches were truly honest with that, there'd be areas that they could definitely work on: sleep, mm. nutrition, it's their own training. There's there's always ways that we can um, get better in that in that term, isn't it? And that ties in with what you mentioned at the start in terms of leadership as well, doesn't it? Being that mm. leader and representing our views and values. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. But I think one of the one of the quotes that I like the most is that culture. Um, culture is about the behaviors that you allow. So at the end of the day, um, you know, it, it's not just about how you address, you know, the, the behaviors and the culture of the players, but you, as a staff, I think it high performing cultures understand the detail about how their behavior affects the environment and the culture. And, as you allow certain behaviors, you threaten the culture. And I think that's something that's always stuck with me is that culture is more influenced by the behaviors that you allow. And that, that I think that's, uh, as, a, as a general point, it's a good starting point for understanding how to build and develop really, really healthy and, and performing cultures. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great point. And one thing one of our community members wanted to ask you was going into a camp. What? How do you find priorities? Like, obviously, that this is going to be working as part of a team, isn't it? But what are your priorities with the players going into certain camps, and do they differ from camp to camp? For sure. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the more difficult parts of the role when we're in camp. The first 48 hours are actually pretty pretty manic. Uh, I mean, the you've got normally uh, normally club games are finishing up on Saturdays. Players are reporting on Sundays, and then you're trying to start you know a, a the training process on Mondays and getting a good understanding of the chronic load that has taken place is not as easy as it seems. Everybody's on different GPS systems. Some groups share the information quickly. Some groups don't share it very quickly. Some groups don't share it at all. And you're trying to high performance, especially player monitoring for me is an art. And the reason why I think it's an art is because you are trying to paint a picture, just like an artist tries to paint a picture of where the player is. You've got all these dichotomies at work on the player, pulling them from central, pulling them from this centered place of performance, pulling them from this place of balance. Well, assessing it and painting that picture requires a few different things. One, you have to have the right amount of colors. If you have too many colors, the picture is is too confusing. It's blurred and it doesn't give you a good sense of where the player's at. If there isn't enough color, it's too vague and you can't make decisions. And each color is a tool, whether it be GPS or whether it be RPE or whether it be the phone calls you make and the information you gain medically from from phone calls, whether it might be. In general, you're trying to put the right number of colors together to paint the picture of where the player is come Monday. And it's really that's probably the most difficult job in camp uh, because there's big gaps. Sometimes there's huge gaps. 
And then you're trying to fill those gaps with information from the player. And a lot of times that's not fair to the player because they are trying to give you information and the information you're gaining from them is trying to fill a gap that's usually filled by something very detailed, something very pragmatic, analytical. And now you're trying to decide, okay, Monday, we are doing this. This group is doing A, this group is doing B. But the decision in, for some individuals is based on a huge body of data. And for other individuals, it's based on a very small body of data. That particular role, that particular period is really stressful because then you're reporting to the technical staff in that room where we're deciding what we're doing for the week, what we're doing specifically for the day and then for the week. And the decisions there are critical, critical because you, you're trying not to operate blind. But at times it's difficult. And there are certain, the reality is there are certain players that come from certain clubs that don't share anything. And that's just the reality of football. And for those particular players, you just, you use your experience, you use your gut, use the information you gain from the player and you try to make the best decision you possibly can for what their starting point should be and what their week should look like. And those are, those are, those can be stressful. But then again, it goes back to the point of, of what I want to try to do in these periods between camps. Why do I want to create and earn the trust of high performance departments across the globe? Because I want them to feel safe with being transparent with me. The information that we're gaining is not for me. I'm not, I don't want the information to use it against them later on. I don't want the information so that at some later point, I can blame them for something instead of me. This is not about blame. This is about collaboratively working in a way that one, makes seamless transitions for the players in and out of camp, but two, continues their pathway as a high performer. I want them to leave our camps and play better for them when they return to the club. But I can't, it's very difficult to do that when there's gaps in the data. So the work we're doing in between camps is to make it easier for clubs to share information with us, but then also to create a way for us to share the information back to them. And outside of that, if we can't accomplish it in a really effective way, in an efficient way, it becomes really difficult to make decisions between Saturday to Monday. That's a really tight time frame to make those decisions. And then sometimes players, they have their game on Sunday. So if everything works perfectly and everybody played on Saturday, fantastic. Then you use the rest of Saturday and Sunday to collaborate the data, and then you can make decisions for Monday. But there's, there's times we've got guys playing on Sunday and even Monday, and they're not even reporting to camp till Tuesday. And we're trying to prepare play a competitive match on Thursday or Friday. So the, the constraints are there. It is difficult. And you just handle them as they come. But the more information you have going into it, the easier it is to make the right decision. It definitely comes down to experience and communication now, doesn't it? And like you mentioned before, with the, the player first attitude, like that's what we what we all should be in it for, which is why sharing that information is so crucial, isn't it? That we can make the right decisions at the right time or what we put the right decisions at the right time. 100%. And what you're trying to do too, Ben, is you're trying to get you're trying to get this huge community to to band together to solve to solve two issues and to accomplish two major goals the club's goal and the federation's goal because as much as we want to earn trust so that 
clubs can understand our true priority is to be player first. We also want them to engage in a really powerful way and embrace the goals that we have for the U.S. men's national team. And that's a really important point here. Our mission as, as it, with the USMNT right now as it stands is to change the way the world views American soccer. That's our mission. Well, to do that, we need collaborative effort. But again, to get to that point where they want our mission just as much as we want their mission, we have to start by, by building the trust. And we have to do it in a really genuine way. And as long as we continue to drive this narrative of a player-first culture, I think we can do that. Because at the end of the day, we want to support the players and the clubs, and we want them all to do well. But we're here to do a job. For the USMNT, we've got a clear mission in front of us. And Greg set that mission day one, January 1, 2019. We knew the mission. And then if you expand it even further, you have, the, you have the mission of the Federation to be the preeminent sport in all of the United States. Those are two really, really big goals, big missions. But to do them, we need the community to believe in the missions just as much as we believe in their mission. And I think that's the message that we're trying to push. Not because we're trying to paint a narrative, but because we truly believe it. We truly desire for clubs to reach their goals. We want to be a resource for that to take place. And I think in our intimate conversations that we've had with, with, you know, with individual clubs, I do believe they're starting to see that. I do think they truly un- understand our desire to make them successful, to help in the process of making them successful. And now what we want is for them to continue to be more vested and interested in what our mission is. And, and we're excited. We're excited about it because it is an ambitious an ambitious mission, but we know we can accomplish it. But we will. This, that's what this whole entire collaborative process is about. It's about getting everybody on board, and can we all drive towards this mission? Yeah, everyone has to be pulling in the same direction, don't they? And like you said, there's two big, big missions there, but achievable and and needs everyone on board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Steve, that's been great, mate. I've took absolutely loads from it. I've got the pages full of notes there. I think we've covered loads of great topics, and I really <laughs> appreciate your time. I've gone a little bit over what I, what I promised. So um, really appreciate you giving up your time and giving your experiences. And like I said, I've heard you speak on a lot of podcasts before, so it's great to finally have you on ours. No worries. No worries. We'll, we'll call this part one, Ben. How about that? And you you, you, you put together what you want, and then we'll, we'll go – we'll make this uh, – We'll make this a, a a part one, and then we'll do a part two. We'll, this will be the Star Wars of podcasts. We'll have we'll have seven sequels. <laughs> that sounds great, mate. That sounds top. Steve, uh-huh. if anyone's got any questions or they want to reach out to you, where's the best place they can do it? Probably, I'm most accessible on social media. That'll probably be the best way. My, uh, they can reach me on Twitter at, at Steve Tashin. That's probably the quickest way for them to get a hold of me. Uh, and then they can reach me at my at uh, let's see what would be another good way they can reach me on LinkedIn as well that's a great way to reach me also and I you know I love it you know because more often than not when I do finish a podcast there's you know a lot of questions that come out of it and I learn a lot from 
from the feedback that I get. So I definitely encourage that process. Reach out and and let's try to connect. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I've taken loads from it, so I'm sure everyone else will. So, Steve, thank you very much for your time, mate. And uh, stay safe and yeah. uh, look after all your loved ones. And, uh, yeah, we'll catch up soon. You too, Ben. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, mate. All right, pal. Huge thank you to Steve for coming on. It was great to draw of his experience in pro football. Um, obviously, he talked through the, the different places he's been, the different leagues he's worked in, all the, the different countries as well. So it was great to draw from his experience. I had an, a load of takeaways on this one. It was quite hard to narrow it down, but I've got it down to four. Um, where he spoke about being protected by the head coach, so having a mentor that protect his, his work and that allowed him to make mistakes. So um, it allowed it to sort of express his work and try different things and we don't all have the luxury of that being in that position but obviously Steve was and there will be people out there that do but I think it underlines the importance of having that mentor figure in your coaching life as well regardless of the the um, experience of the coach whether you're just starting out or whether you're an experienced coach I don't, I don't think it matters um, I just think you need a mentor to help you out to give you advice where you need it and I think Steve just he sort of underlined that fact to the importance of the mentor also he touched on the high performance model and he referred to it as, a, as being similar to a startup which I, I love that analogy um, regarding proving your worth which was another another of the takeaways um, and, and the title of the podcast as well but proving your worth and and having to sort of sell yourself as a startup company I think that was great and anyone that hasn't researched any sort of business or business books out there or business um, information I think it's great to do because even if you've not got the intention of starting your own business um, I think you can take plenty from that in terms of the people that have and the people that have been successful as well and apply that to your your coaching practice and then the other thing was the player first attention so I think that's something we have touched on before in previous episodes, but another good takeaway for me. And then the other thing was the the time for yourself. And we have touched on, on this on a little bit on previous episodes regarding go, coach health. But Steve underlined the fact that he has an end to his day, which I think is really important because we can sort of get caught up in the 24-hour. We talk about 24-hour athlete, but we can turn into 24-hour coaches as well. So Steve underlined the fact that, yes, he is busy. Yes, he has got a lot of things on his plate but he has a specific time, a specific cutoff in the day where his day is done. So I think that was great um, of him to touch on that. He also mentioned that um, if anyone's got any future questions, then we could get a part two in as well. So please reach out, get in touch. Let us know what you want to hear from Steve because he's a practitioner that is willing to, to share and um share information and answer any questions that you've got. So it'd be great to hear the questions that you guys have got for Steve as well. So just drop us a message on Twitter. You can retweet the podcast when it goes out with your questions on Instagram. Just just DM us or comment on the uh, post when it goes out or contact, contact us directly. So email mail at footballfitfed.com and then we'll line up the second episode with Steve and hopefully get out as soon as possible. You can go and follow Steve on Twitter. He's at Steve Tashjian, and I'll just spell his second name for you, which is T-A-S-H-J-I-A-N. So go and give him a follow. 
um, and Fowler, keep up with the work that he's doing over in the States um, that he's touched on in the episode. Guys, thank you again for listening. I hope you're taking value from these two shows a week. It will be the same next week. We've got those lined up already, two top shows coming for you. Um, Please give it a share. Share it with as many people as possible. And we'll speak to you again next week.